Hello and welcome to Speak Female, the podcast that is on a mission to empower, coach and educate women and allies around the world to become more confident, knowledgeable and to have the opportunity to listen to real subjects they can either relate to or learn something from. This season is all about female empowerment and leadership. So at the end of each interview, I will be reading out a quote that has been selected by my guest. I'm your host, Lucy Grimwade, professional development coach, senior IT manager, and of course, podcaster. You'll now find that in between the episodes, you'll have access to five minute coaching hosted by me. If you'd like to find out more about Speak Female and coaching, you can connect with me across all social media platforms or email me coaching at lucygrimwades.com. Enjoy the episode. Today I'm joined by Emma Weiner. Emma is a corporate speaker coach and the founder of Speaking at Work. She works with female leaders who have vision and ambition and want to raise their visibility and credibility, amplifying their ability to be heard and cultivating the grace to influence. Today, Emma joins me to talk about how we can inspire more women to step up and step into leadership positions. Emma, welcome to Speak Female. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited that you're here as well. So I want to start with asking you a really quite a large question, really. How can we inspire more women to step up into leadership positions? Yeah, I mean, I I think this is quite... um... It's quite complex. I think the first thing we have to say is that women are brilliant leaders. The ones that are out there are doing an incredible job. Um, There was some research by HBR, which uh, was 2019, and they were saying that women uh, on KPIs were scoring far higher than than their male counterparts. in 2020, Forbes did some similar research, and they found that female-run organizations were outperforming similar organizations run by men on things like uh, targets, bottom line, employee engagement, which is huge, uh, as well as retention, which is also a really big deal. So there's no doubt that women out there are doing an amazing job. There's just not enough of them. So Mm. what can we do to help people get back into the sort of into leadership roles because the pipeline is is leaky. We get these amazing women coming into organizations and then along the way we lose them, which is such a shame. And I think the challenges are systemic. I think there's there's a a lot going on sort of uh, in terms of culture that is problematic. And I think there's a lot of things environmentally, so within organizations, And then obviously we can come down to ourselves and we have some internal blockers that are making it more difficult. But I think those are the three big challenges that that, that are out there, systemic, environmental and personal. Yeah. And also, I think when it comes to leadership as well, there's lots of um, articles in magazines and blogs, etc. around how women go off and have children and then they struggle then to go back into like a leadership position. But I fundamentally disagree with that because, like you say, there's other environmental, systemic, um, you know, other things within businesses that do hold women back from moving forwards. And I wonder whether you've kind of ever come across with the clients that you've worked with any kind of key themes or challenges that you've seen. Yeah, I I think there's there's a lot. I mean, picking up on what you're saying there, that the women at work and, and not going into leadership, particularly when they've got families, 
There's this amazing piece of research that was just done by Harvard, and they were looking at why there weren't as many women leaders as um, as there were men. And when they interviewed everybody, everybody within these particular organizations, and there were lots of different organizations, said it's because, you know, that the work-life balance is really problematic for women. And they went, okay, well, if that's true, then there should be, logically, there should be a lot of women in leadership roles who don't have children, because that would then make sense, wouldn't it? And there weren't. There were no more women who didn't have children in a leadership role than there were women who did. So it, it didn't make sense. But everybody, male and female, in, in all these organizations bought into this sort of cultural idea that it's difficult for men and women. When, sorry, it's difficult for women when they have a family. But it's equally difficult for men. What was different was that women were offered accommodation. So they were offered like sideline jobs. They were offered things that weren't like the next step up. And I think this is, this is one of the themes that I see women talk about all the time is the guilt. And because they felt bad that they weren't doing their job as perhaps thoroughly as they would have liked or as, as they would have done before they had children and they weren't with their families as much, they felt guilty. And therefore they took these accommodations, these sort of sideline jobs. And then once they're off that track, it's really hard to get back on because you're starting to lose your visibility. You're just not as available. You're not front of mind as, as the other men in your organization because you're in this sort of sideline role and you can't get back onto the career track as easily. So I think one of the things that I see coming up a lot is about managing that guilt. If you can find a way to manage the guilt, then you will probably progress your career more easily. Um, but it's the, the overall problem, and this is true for men and women, is, is this culture of overwork that we have. We just work too long. We work too many hours. We're expected to be available at weekends. We're expected to be available on our holidays. You know, email makes us available 24-7. You know, you know, I mean, you, you must have experienced this. You get an email and then, you know, and half an hour later, you're, you know, they're badgering you for response. It's like, I have, I've got other things that I have to, have to do. So it's that that's a problem and I think it's it's additionally problematic for women because of the guilt. I can really resonate with what you've just said there about being overworked it wasn't um it wasn't recent because obviously we're in COVID-19 times at the moment but back maybe two years ago I was driving home so I used to drive in and out of London um for, for my job and um somebody had rang me and it was about six o'clock and they were ringing me and I was answering it in my car I was stuck in traffic shouldn't really have been on my phone anyway and because I was stressed and because I was thinking about driving home stressed in the traffic I was driving on them um, the west way so if anyone knows London very well the west way is is killer <laughs> yep. um, I was on there stuck in traffic and they were asking me to approve a change as an IT manager I had to approve a change and not really concentrating on on both really the road which is one dangerous and also the job which is also dangerous because I'm about to approve a change but feeling that pressure feeling overworked feeling the guilt that I was driving home because I wanted to get home to have an evening with my other half I was like yep that's fine I approve that change and then in my car I sent the email yep approved and do you know what that change took a whole system down because I wasn't concentrating, I wasn't paying it, you know, wasn't paying attention. And you're right, it's that guilt. And the guilt, you know, when you were talking about guilt there, and I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are around where that guilt comes from. 
you know, I'm not a mother, but yeah, I have that guilt of, oh my goodness, I need to be available 24 by seven. I need to be answering my telephone. And it was because of the role that I had more so. And the guilt was that I just didn't want to seem that I wasn't good enough. And I, I wanted to kind of show them that I could do this. I could be in a senior management position and be a, um, a good partner and be a good friend and all of these things. I wanted to basically have it all. And society was telling me that I can't. So it, I wonder what your thoughts are around the where that guilt comes from. I, I totally agree. I think this we as women have a natural tendency to work collaboratively. We want to work as a team. We we want to nurture. So we want to try and make sure everything is okay. And that's what ends up giving us this guilt because we're pulled in so many different directions. We're trying to be everything to everybody and we can't do all of those things. You know, some of it we've we've got to learn to outsource some of it. Uh, the things that we can outsource that we don't have to do, absolutely, we have to get rid of it and not feel badly about it so we can really focus our attention on the bits that matter. Um, and I think that's really difficult to do. I, I, I think culturally, if we're not doing everything, somehow we, we're inferior, we, we've given up on something, but it's just, it's just not true. And I think the problem with guilt for me that I see is that it comes through in your body language. It comes through in your vocal tone. It comes through in the language that you use. And so when we're feeling guilty, we feel sorry and we are lowering our status. So I'm sure when you got home after you being stuck on the, on that, on the West Way, and I feel your pain, I spent many <laughs> years stuck on the West Way, um, you know, that you would have got, I'm really sorry, I'm so sorry I'm late, you know, and the traffic was awful, you know, and we're, we're sort of, we're being nice and we're, we're lowering our status to the other person. But then we're going back into work and going, oh, I'm so sorry that I, you know, I wasn't fully paying attention to you. And we're, we're constantly, linguistically, tonally, physically, putting ourselves in a lower position. And so it makes it harder if somebody's constantly or, or not even constantly, but fairly regularly putting themselves in that sort of lower status position, it becomes much harder to see them as leadership material because they're like, well, I, I, you know, and I've, I've seen so many female clients who come to me. I've been for three or four senior management interviews and I've been told I don't have management. I don't have leadership qualities. I don't have leadership. I'm not leadership material. And then you hear about their careers. You hear about what they do. And you think, what? And, and it's because the way that they hold themselves, the way that they talk about themselves is not equivalent to their potential or to all the things that they've achieved beforehand. Um, I had an amazing lady who came to me a few years ago. She was a, a civil servant. Inc I mean, incredible experience. She'd done some absolutely fantastic things. And yet she'd had three interviews nothing you're not leadership material and it was down to her body language and the linguistics that she was using this low status so it's basically saying to the other person you don't need to pay attention to me you know it was things like you know I, this is only going to take a moment of your time you know I'm, I'm so sorry is it just me I, i'm not quite with what's going on and we do all these tiny unconscious consensus building linguistic things that actually undermine our visibility and our credibility in all kinds of ways we don't know we're doing them most of the time yeah I find it so interesting that you've, you've brought that up actually because recently I noticed that I was saying sorry a lot and then somebody called me out on it and said it's like you're saying sorry because you're existing and I thought wow <laughs> 
wow that's really that really that really cut me deep <laughs> and um, I ended up using a bit of a therapeutic technique I actually wrote a letter to sorry to say you know thank you for being there for me thank you for you know being the words that I've used but actually now I need to let you go and then I actually cut it all up and then burnt it because I had to let go of the word sorry and what you're saying there again really resonates with me and I'm, I'm hoping that the listeners also who are, who are female going into like leadership positions also resonate with it you know your body language how you show up to interviews the language that you use mm-hmm. and we need to get more comfortable in my opinion with kind of being like yeah do you know what I am a boss babe yeah I, I have got the capabilities to lead this team I can do this actually yeah I do have these qualifications I also have this qualification I also run a side business and I also have a podcast Mm. absolutely and when you can I I mean that's one that's another thing that comes up so regularly with my clients is this concept of owning your expertise we're not really comfortable with owning our expertise we you know you see it all the time somebody gives you a compliment about a piece of work that you've done and you know you get that oh well you know that was and you they they physically bat it away with their hand and you get that oh well it was just I just you know just brilliant hedge use that all the time just oh actually that was that was mostly the team I just pulled I just pulled it all together so you get this this not wanting to own actually I did this and in fact, I was talking to a lady the other day and she, she got thrown out of an interview because she kept saying, we. So she wasn't owning the fact that she'd done this work. She said, oh, you know, we did this, we choose in marketing, we changed this marketing approach and this was the result. And, and eventually the, the interviewer said, you're just passing off everybody else's work as your own and literally handed back her CV and asked her to leave. And she was, she was the marketing department. It was just her. There was nobody else. And, and she genuinely had done all these things. Um, but because she was saying we and not I, this, this interviewer thought she was lying. So, you know, it's really easy to, to not own that we are good at what we do. And it goes back to school. You know, if you think about schooling, schooling was about somebody taught you, you learned, you regurgitated it, and then they told you how good you were. And that was it. So we've never, not never, but I mean, I'm talking about schooling when, when I was at school uh, and schooling that the, the women that would be going into leadership positions or who are starting their own businesses. It's just as applicable if you're a, uh, an entrepreneur, um, you know, owning that you can say, no, I am good at this. This is, this is really my area of expertise. Um, I was, I went to, actually went to a, a coaching uh, session recently and there was a lady there she was a psychologist and she was talking about expert ease so your ability to be at ease with your expertness and I just loved that I thought that was just such a fantastic expression and I think it's so important that we learn to embrace to be able to say genuinely I'm good at this I can skillfully apply all the knowledge that I currently have I'm not saying I know everything because there's always more to learn but I can skillfully apply what I know now to this scenario. How do you think we can do that? How do you think we can be more at ease with our expert tease? Expertise, our expertness. Yes, expertness, I know, it's not, it's not a good word. <laughs> yeah. um, I, think, I think we have to, we, we have to kind of face up to it a bit like you did with your story letter. I think we have to kind of sit down with ourselves and have a chat and just kind of, we have a tendency as human beings, we, look, we, we, we focus on the gap. 
right, I, I still can't do this. I still don't have that technical skill or I don't know how to do this or that's the journey and I've got to go all the way over here and I, I'm still so far away. And what we forget to do is we forget to turn around and look back and say, oh, you know what, actually... A year ago, I couldn't do that. And a year before that, I couldn't do this. Look at all those amazing things that I can currently do. I think that's really, really important. I think keeping, one of the things I do, and it's really helped me, is keep a, a confidence journal. So at the end of each week, I write down the things that I've done really well that week, things I've been proud of. And I have to say, mostly it's like, <laughs> you'll laugh at this, but mostly it's things that I've overcome with tech. It's like, yes, <laughs> I won with it. <laughs> um, because those are the things that I find really difficult or things as an entrepreneur, like, oh, actually, I've realized I did this and I couldn't do that a few weeks ago or I didn't understand how important that was. And now I do. So I think logging those kinds of things is super helpful. If, I mean, if you're working in an organization and you've got a confidence log, what a brilliant way you're going in before your appraisal. Go back, read through your confidence log with all the amazing things you've done that quarter, that year or however long your appraisal um, gap is. And be able to kind of go in and say, well, look, I've done all these incredible things this year. Um, because the other reason this is really important, and this shows up massively, is that we assume that everybody else sees our good work. They see it and they know it for what it is. No, they don't. <laughs> so we have to talk about it. And, you know, if we need to go back and read a confidence log and read all the great things that we've done, you know, and we have to remind ourselves, it's clear that our boss is not going to be as aware of all those amazing things that we've done. So we need to talk about them. So I think the first bit about, about owning your expertise is, is sitting down and writing down all the things that you're really good at. So technical skills, don't forget those power skills, those soft skills. And then it's about starting to talk about them. So write them down and talk about them to your boss using I, not we. Yeah. I like that confidence log that you just said there. I call it a brag list. So something yeah. that I work with my clients and also people that I work with in my corporate career as well. When when we're just having conversations or when I'm mentoring, I'm like, create yourself a brag list. So when you've had good feedback, things that you've done well, you know, your your achievements, and it could be anything like you've smashed being able to use some tech this week, for example, or you've been able to go out for a walk every day and you've done 10,000 steps, you know, things like that. They're, they're all achievements. And, you know, the next thing is, I think it's all really good us doing those things. What about the language that we use? How can we break those habits of using the we's and the, oh, as a team, we did this. Oh, can I just, um, can I just bother you for a second? How do you think we could change that? So the very first thing we need to do, always, 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 and, and I'm sure you'll agree with this uh, in, in terms of the coaching that you do, it's about noticing. So the first thing we have to do is just notice and notice with kindness. So it's not a notice and going, oh, I did that thing again. Because the moment you do that, you cause tension. And tension for, for me and the work that I do, so tension in the body, tension in the mind, tension in the throat, is going to screw up your voice. And you're going to start to sound not like you. So first thing is to notice, but notice with kindness. So one of the things I say to my clients, I, I teach them the phrase, Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, isn't that interesting? Look, I just said we again. So it's noticing it with a sort of slight wry smile, a slight sense of humor, and then perhaps writing those things down and thinking, are there particular situations where this always arises? So for me, I know that when I go into academia, 
despite the fact I've got a master's degree and I'm not stupid, I find academia quite challenging. And so I will notice, so my devil at that level is these ideas of coming, you know, this, this language coming back in. So now that I've noticed it and I, I know that that's a problem for me, I can do a bit of pre-work before I go into that situation. So for other people, it might be going in to have a difficult conversation or going in to ask for additional resources on a project or if you're an entrepreneur, going out and making a sale. So do the, the pre-work and going, okay, so I might be using some of that language today and that's okay because I'm just going to notice and I'm going to do it better next time. So notice it first of all, notice the scenarios where it happens, where are your sort of crunch points. And then it's a gradual change. So pick one thing. Don't try and do everything at once because you'll never manage it. It'll be overwhelming and you'll just end up feeling bad. So if you notice you say just a lot or sorry a lot. So you picked sorry. All right, I'm going to work on sorry. So how can I not say sorry in an email? So rather than I'm so sorry, it's taking me a day to get back to you. You say, thank you for your patience. Here's my response. It's, it's, you know, it's just a much stronger position to negotiate from. So pick one thing, make one change, and just say, right, this week I'm going to focus on this one. I'm going to nail this one this week. So for me, the thinking has to come first, the noticing, and then the doing, and just keep an eye on it. And it will come back, and you'll do it. I did it the other day in a, in a sales call with a lady. I said, we, I said oh, we've developed uh, this uh, voice credibility assessment. I was like, no. And I stopped myself and I laughed and I said, I'm really sorry. I have to go back. We haven't done anything. I have developed this. <laughs> and she was laughing. You know, but I, as long as we do it with a sense of humor, we're relaxing. We're, we're being okay with ourselves. We don't want to set up tension in ourselves and start a civil war that we don't need. Yeah. I think it's about being authentic as well, isn't it? So, you yeah. know, humor works for you and I, whereas somebody else might want to use, you know, actually, can I just pause there? And then restart the sentence again. Totally. Totally. Uh, yeah. It's got to be who you are. If it's not authentic, the audience will know like in a second. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked what you talked about there. And I, I'm going to call it reframing, but with the word wording in the emails. So something that I do now still is I type out an email before I send it, especially if it's going to be a difficult email. And, and normally I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry, but I just wanted to check. I don't do that now. I go... I, I would just completely reframe it. So there's something that happened to me this week. And instead of going, oh, I'm sorry, I said, thank you for waiting for my response on this email. I can still noticing that there's some gaps here, here and here. Please, can you let me know when you're going to have this done by? Whereas normally I would fluff it up with lots of fluffy words. And I think that's a female thing. And I, and I hate to say it, but I don't necessarily see very many men do it. I see more females do it with the kind of fluffness. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair statement I've made? I, I do. I think I think women have to walk a very we, we, we have to walk a fine line. So whenever we are, when we meet people, when we interact with people, we're assessing them on warmth and competence, um, and we want to want to see both. Uh, warmth has to come first uh, because we make that decision really instantaneously. Do we like that person? Can we see their eyes? Are they smiling? Do they are they open? All that kind of stuff. So we make that decision really really quickly. We also take that decision away really, really quickly. Competence, we decide over a much longer period of time. And we have to do more wrong to undo a sense of competence. Mm. Unfortunately for women, if we go straight in with the competence and we don't do the warmth bit at the beginning, we can be perceived as more aggressive than a man who would say exactly the same. 
So it's really unfair, but unfortunately it is culturally the truth at the moment. And, and we can begin to change our climates around us, but I would still say we still have to have a bit of, of padding of that warmth bit at the beginning um, and then go into the, to the, so the way that you worded your email then was perfect. Like, you know, it was, thank you for your, you know, warmth, thank you for waiting. Here's my response, but these things still need to be done. So you've got the warmth and then straight into the competence and, and brilliantly asking them to come back to you when it's been done so that you're delegating really efficiently. So important. So many people don't do that. So yeah, really well structured. Thanks. It, it's taken time. I can't say I've, you know, always done it that way. Um, and actually, you know, when I say thank you, I actually genuinely mean, you know, thank you because it's taken me time to get that balance. And I've definitely noticed in my corporate world that if I'm too direct and too, um, you know, maybe I slightly raise my voice or I'm not very um, polite as normal, as nice as normal. And I know that um, the listeners can't see, but I'm doing the air quotes there. <laughs> you know, I have been, you know, it, it's it's really interesting. I'm, I Sometimes, way back when, I was either told that I was too nice or I was being too aggressive or I'm not being aggressive enough. And it was really difficult because I was getting these mixed messages, like be yeah. nice, but also be aggressive. And it was really difficult for me. And I had to find, and again, I'm coming back to that word authentic. I had to find my own authentic balance, which is like you say, that warmth and then the actual, okay, but these still things are still not done. I need to know when are you going to have it done by? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, if you're in an organization, it's the people that get things done. So that relationship has to be maintained. It has to be nurtured. So that warmth is really, really an essential part of the job. But it, it, it can't be the only part of the job. And neither can, like, look, you just got to get these things done, be just part of the job. We have to have this really nice balance of both. And you're right, it's about finding that authentic middle ground. If you, if you, Google, and I did this recently for a webinar I was doing, you Google pictures of businesswomen. You get pictures of women who are generally have their, either arms folded or they have a folder or a laptop or something in front of them as a, as a kind of barrier. And their heads are tilted to one side and this really kind of, and you use the word brilliantly, nice. This kind of nice placatory, I'm not a threat, it's okay, everything's totally fine, postures. And then if you, if you Google female leader, you get the opposite what you described as the more aggressive stance. So we get the, the arms crossed in front of the body, the chest really kind of pumped up, the chin is lifted, looking down the nose, um, backs are kind of ramrod straight, feet are further apart than they would normally. And that posture then just gives off kind of aggressive overtones. It's subtle, uh, but we pick these things up unconsciously. So you're right, there's this swing between super nice, I'm not a threat, and this kind of boss lady, I'm in charge, don't mess with me space. And neither of those are great places to be a relational leader from or a business you know, owner. You're not going to run a great business from either of those positions because in, in the nice position, you're going to get walked over and in the sort of, uh, sort of pushed out, pressed place, you're, just, you're, not, you're not strong, you're brittle. So a bit of a shove and you're going to get knocked over. So you're right, we need this middle ground where we are present, we're authentic and we are available to the audience. Mm. I wonder how we could find that balance because I think it's different for everyone. And at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about the different themes that we see that kind of 
I'm going to use the word prevent, and I don't really like the word, but it does prevent mm. women from going into those leadership positions. What could we put in place? How can we help women find that balance? I think I think there needs to be more training, for sure. Mm. So there's 400,000, roughly 400,000 leaders go get, get appointed every year in the UK, and only about 25% of those will get training. And about 60, 50, 60% of them will fluff it up totally in the first 18 months. So I think there's a real lack of training because somebody generally is functionally brilliant and then they get put into a leadership role, but nobody ever tells them how to lead. Mm. And the same is true if you start your own business, you know, you're functionally brilliant at something, you go out and you become an entrepreneur and no, you know, you suddenly have to learn how to do the entrepreneur bit. Um, so it's, it's the same process. Um, so I think that there's definitely a need for training. And I think that training has to happen earlier rather than later. And training around these relational skills so how to communicate really effectively with your team and communicate, like you say, authentically. So as you. So, you know, if you look around, there's so many different kinds of leaders. I think sometimes we fall into this slight trap of thinking leaders have to kind of come in one size and they don't. You know, I've known quiet, composed, incredibly calm leaders. I've known charismatic leaders and, and everything in between. And they, they're all good, but they're all different. So I think, I think training is really, really vital. I think personal work, so perhaps coaching or uh, training through networks around it's okay to be you. And actually being you means you'll do the job better than you would if you're trying to emulate another type of leadership. So I think that's really, really important. And I think, I think there's a real need for lifting as we rise. So if you're a woman, and you, particularly if you work in tech or you work in you know, industries like law where there are fewer women as you go up, then we have to be working to help bring the visibility of those other women, those younger women, the people that are coming behind us. We've got to do more to make it easier for them. So I think there's a lot we can do systemically uh, in terms of the organization and personally to really begin to start to break through some of those barriers that exist at the minute. Yeah, really like what you just said there about almost that cookie cutter for leaders. That's that's not a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. It's, no. it's ridiculous, isn't it, really? Yeah. And I really like that you said that because one of my um, things I was saying last year a lot was about how we need to change that how it's actually okay to be the pink dress in the ocean of gray suits because you need to stand out and um and I'm laughing because I did a Instagram story and I was wearing my big red Prada sunglasses in the sunshine being like you know these men in their gray suits and their pinky rings and their red socks <laughs> you know all of that that's you know life is changing the world is changing and we've, we're seeing that almost in kind of that startup culture as well where you can just wear like jeans and trainers and you, you know and I'm, I'm talking about more of image here but I think that that also needs to change I think we need to kind of let go of this kind of stiff kind of look yeah. um which I think can stifle people because sometimes women don't want to wear you know it's hard to wear I just remember when I was working in a more corporate type role in banking I found it really hard to find you know I was not on a massive salary at the time but I always found it really hard to find like good clothing for example and I always felt uncomfortable because I didn't like the fact of having to wear 
um, a shirt that felt tight and um, a skirt that felt tight and all of all of that and and that kind of held me back a little bit too I felt because I didn't have the luxury of just wearing like a nice pair of trousers almost you know these lovely suits that the men wear you know tailored suits I couldn't afford to do that back then I couldn't have a tailored suit no absolutely and I think you know that that if you feel comfortable you know in what you're wearing I think it really makes a difference in how you look and how you sound um, yeah, so I think we really have to move away from this idea of cookie cutter and that leadership is a masculine quality. And it, it just, I mean, it, it totally isn't. I mean, all the stats that we were talking about at the beginning of the, the podcast, it just, you know, women are amazing. And look at Jacinda Ahern. How amazing has she been through the, the crisis? I mean, she's just been incredible. But she's authentic and she's real and she's available and she's present. And I feel like she doesn't do the whole grey suit thing. Um, so, you know, leaders don't have to be this sort of boring, grey, cookie-cuttered uh, type of character. You can, you can be the kind of leader that you want to be. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I wonder if there's any other um, themes or suggestions that we could give the listeners now for when they are looking to step up into leadership roles. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about self-promotion. Great. You dirty word, huh? <laughs> so I'm sure there's lots of people out there going, oh, yuck, I hate that, I hate that. Um, we as a gender find it a bit uncomfortable to think about self-promotion. So let's get rid of the idea of self-promotion and let's think about visibility. We need to raise our visibility within an organisation. So one of the ways you can do that is by speaking up. So there's a whole load of research that came out last year, which uh, was presented at Davos, which was saying that women get about two thirds of the airtime of their male colleagues uh, in meetings, in work scenarios, which is, you know, it's, it's no good. Um, they get interrupted uh, and 70% of those interruptions will be negative ones. Oh, that won't work. We've done that before. No, 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 you misunderstand. So we need to commit to speaking up. We also need to commit to speaking up for longer because we only get two thirds of the airtime. So when you get to the point where you think, oh, I've been speaking for a bit of a, a long time now, you're probably just at the point that your male colleagues would have spoken for, the length of time that they would have spoken for. And we've got this sort of historic backlog to make up for. So commit to speaking, speak for longer than you feel comfortable because the reason for this is that your perceived authority within an organization is directly correlated to the amount of airtime you get. So we need, to, we need to commit to speaking. And this is where the lift as you rise kind of idea comes in. So if you're a woman in a meeting and there's one other woman in the meeting and you're surrounded by men, that, that problem is compounded for you. It gets worse. So the more men in the room, the, the fewer women, that, that time ratio gets worse. So hand the floor to her. You know, be able to say, you know, Lucy, what do you think about that? Or how will that affect your department? So you're giving her the floor before anybody else can kind of jump in. So really use the other women in the room. I think that's so important. I think the other thing is to start thinking about yourself as a business. So if you work within an organization, you're a business. So if you set up a business, you wouldn't not promote that business, would you? Because nobody would know you were there. You might do brilliant work or have an amazing product. But if you don't tell anybody, no one's going to come and buy it. So if you're within an organization, you are a business. So we need to start to learn to raise the visibility of that business yourself within the larger business. So 
what's your area of expertise? What's your thought leadership? And where can you develop that? So if there's a particular thing that you are brilliant at, who, how can you help the organization get better cross-functionally with that, across silos? How can you help outside of the organization? Where do you need to be speaking about your particular area of expertise? Who within the organization could benefit from that? And really, you know those projects that come up and they, you know, uh, they're sort of, they're not additional, they're additional bits to your job, but you're not going to get paid for them. Be really picky about those. Pick the ones that are going to get you in front of the right people and then use those as platforms for your thought leadership. I think that's, that's really important and we tend not to do that. And then, of course, stop using we and start saying I. <laughs> so that collaborative language, get rid of it. Absolutely love all of that. I particularly like being able to, and when you were just saying that I had a massive smile on my face, when, when being a female in the, in the room and there's only two females and the rest are male, I always, I always, always, always call on my other female colleague to say, what do you think, think to that? And then she does that vice versa. So it's so lovely to know that we already do that. And um, yes, the language as well, that's so important. And that whole kind of em females empowering other females in that journey. So I really love all of that, that advice yeah. you've given us there actually. So thank you for sharing that. That's okay. Because I, I really think if we do all those things and you, you start to be much more front of mind. So when those positions come up or, uh, you know, when clients need a particular service, they're like, oh yeah, Lucy was brilliant. I'm going to call Lucy and ask her, you know, so you're front of mind and you're positioned as the expert if you've done those things. So it just, you're just raising your visibility all really naturally. It's, it doesn't feel artificial. It doesn't feel fake. It feels authentic. So it's a much better way than thinking about it in terms of self-promotion. Yeah, and, and it actually works because, and I say that because last week or the week before, um, somebody who I used to work with messaged me to say, you know, hi, how are you? I hope you don't mind this, is, um, this being cheeky. But um, because of the work that I've done in service management within IT, he's in a different role now. Um, and there's a female that's kind of stepped into a different role and asked me if I would kind of help her with a couple of things because he saw the work that I did previously um, when when him and I worked together and I just thought you know I was like absolutely I didn't say no of course I'm not going to say no but you know it just goes to show that if you put yourself just that tiny little bit out there you know show up to meetings speak out also you know saying about getting involved in those additional activities as you know Emma I, I run the women in tech community at my current organization and you know that has given me visibility. I've now been in front of um, the executives. I've been in front of um, the, there's a banner within in, within the organisation, and I've been in front of all the other people that kind of are, are outside of the one organisation that I'm in, and it's been it's been incredible. All because I just had this little idea and I pulled together. Actually, I'm going to stop myself there. I just said all because I had this little idea. Yeah. All because I had this brilliant idea of creating this woman in tech piece and I did that and I kind of pushed it forwards yeah and that's how me go on sorry Emma no I was gonna say how brilliant is that how how did that sentence change I just had this little idea mm -hmm. to I had this brilliant idea yeah yeah really owning your expertise and it makes such a difference it's a little hair somewhere <laughs> <laughs> I just think it makes a huge difference when we just start to own that expertise. And I'm so happy that you noticed it. 
Yeah, well, I think I've been pick, picking it up for a while, but that now having this conversation, and I hope the listeners as well will go away from listening to this being like, okay, if they pick up words that they're using, go actually, no, I'm going to stop there. Because it was easy for me just to do that, wasn't it? I just go, actually, let me pause there. I'm going to re- restart my sentence again. And I did. Mm, totally easy. And, and what a difference it made. Such a difference. Any other themes or topics that we could cover in regards to women in leadership I feel like we've covered quite a lot though already (laughs) we have I think there's one other thing that that I I think is vital and I think it comes back to values and identity so sometimes when we go into leadership roles or when we're starting our own business we're not necessarily completely clear on what our values are or we're completely clear what our values are but we're not so great at making sure they don't get compromised when we go into the workspace. And we, sort, we end up doing these sort of messages because, well, I, this, I think we ought to be doing this because that's what management say or that's what I think the world wants to hear. But it's not really what I think. And, and so we have these sort of slightly muddled and mixed messages. So I think it's really important to understand what are your values, who are you, what do you stand for, and what does that mean for what, what you do within your workspace? Because if you're clear about those things, it makes, I'm not going to say it makes decisions easier, because it doesn't, it makes them simpler. It then makes your communication much clearer, much more effective. So we stop hedging, we stop pulling in all these sort of um, these ideas of, of trying to hate people like you did with your email. It's just a much clearer process. Um, so I think really understanding your values, knowing what you stand for and bringing those into your business are really is a really important sort of foundational piece. Yeah, I think values are so incredibly important. I'm so pleased that you've brought that up, actually, because when I did my values and I wonder whether you can resonate with this as well. But years ago, when I actually figured out what my values are, who I was, where I was going, etc., then I realised why things bothered me. So when something was going on, I was like, well, why is that bothering me? Let me just check check back in with my values here. Right, this is why. This is why it's impacting me. So one of my values is about equality. Um, no surprise there, probably. But, um, and there was something going on. I was like, why is this really bothering me? And actually, it wasn't really to do with work. It was to do with something that was going on in the news. And when I thought more about it, I was like, yeah, that's because there's, you know, there's some injustice here you know it's not all of this is not justified this goes against my quality value and there's different things that you notice and I think anyone that's listening now like Emma said go and figure out what your values are what your strengths are who you are because that is going to really help you propel yourself forwards of all the other things that we've talked about today definitely yeah absolutely and then that compounds into your relations as well so you know this sort of idea that you know, there's, there's difficult people in the world, you know, that, that's just not the case. There are people that you find difficult. And the reason you probably find them difficult is because they have a different value set than you. And that's fine, because we need lots of different value sets within an organization or within a business in order that it can function effectively. Um, but and it, it's about learning to look at those values that they have and kind of going, okay, so I can see why they're getting agitated about this, because it's not feeding into their value system. Right? what can I do? How can I explain this situation to them differently that is going to make sense? 
So then you can adapt your communication, whether that's the words or the style or whether it's the, you know, an email versus a face-to-face conversation, you can adapt it. So you'll become a much better relational leader by, by understanding who you are, because then you can understand who you are in relationship to everybody else. And that just makes life so much easier. Definitely. And something that I've done in, in different corporate roles that, that I've been in is, um, there's that kind of color block thing where you know what colors yeah. you are. Um, yeah. but then using just 16 personalities, like the, the free, everyone loves it. 16 personalities, the, the free, um, kind of quiz that it is. And it gives you what your yeah. personality type is. It probably doesn't surprise you that I'm ENFJ. I'm also a yellow red personality type. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Um, but it, it, it's been so useful to kind of learn, again, you can't necessarily always stick by these kind of um, labels that they are with the kind of ENFJ or yellow, red, blue, green, but it helps kind of give you the underlying, okay, well, that person is is a bit more of a, a blue personality type. So they actually don't like the fact that I'm being so red right now, that I'm being so direct. So you have mm. to kind of put some, fl- maybe put some fluff around it. Whereas if you are dealing with someone who's a red personality type who likes things to be directive, you want to take your fluff out and then go, okay, this is what I need. This is what I'm asking for. Absolutely. So your messages are clear and tailored to that particular audience. Or if it's an audience you don't know, and when I say audience, I might mean, you know, it could be one person or 100 people. It doesn't really matter. Um, You can make sure that you're covering all of those areas in some way or another so it's appealing to everybody rather than you know in in only the the way that you value in your really your specific style the way that you would just talk to anybody you can make sure that you're appealing to your audience entirely when you don't know what how they might be motivated or how what they might be interested in so you're more effective more often yeah if you don't have the luxury of being able to do the personality type things that we've just talked about there you can always ask the person so I've done it a couple of times I haven't done it a lot but I have done it a couple of times when I've worked with different people I've said how would you like me to to communicate with you or how would you like these emails to be sent to you just so I could get a flavor from how they like to receive information or how they like to be be communicated with and some people are shocked by that but there's something about getting used to, and I feel like the theme that we've had in this conversation is getting a little bit used to kind of stretching outside of your comfort zone slightly to kind of challenge yourself, reframe some of the things that you're saying and just try it out. Mm. Try it next week, for example, just kind of, you know, someone new you're working with or maybe even your manager that perhaps you've been having a bit of loggerheads with and just, mm. well, how would you like me to communicate with you? How would you like this information sent back? Yeah, absolutely. It saves so much time and it saves so much conflict. Um, and that's, you know, because you could spend hours prepping a whole load of data and actually your boss just wants the number, the, the, the final number. That's all they want. And you've done all this work and they go, oh, great. Yeah, thanks. Flip through it. Look at the last page. Great. Thank you. And then you're like, I just spent three hours of my life doing this, you know. Uh, you know, or you give them the number and actually they wanted all the, the data so that they can go through and just kind of see what, why do we end up at that number and you haven't done that and then they're cross because they don't have the info they need. So asking how the other person needs information is really, it's such a simple thing and we forget to do it. You know, we, if we were making a cup of tea for somebody, you'd say, you know, how would you like it? <laughs> milk, no milk, sugar, no sugar, dark, you know, what? You, you ask them, but we don't do it at work when this is really critical stuff it's really I find it fascinating 
Yeah, that's so that's I'm I'm laughing at that because you're so right. When you make someone a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, you always ask that question. So you know, we can maybe everyone keep that kind of thing in your head there, that kind of narrative in your head, and then yep. you know, just just try it. You know, what's the worst that can happen? Someone might think you're just a bit odd because you're asking them something, but actually, probably nine times out of ten, or nine point five times out of ten, someone's going to go, oh, no one's really ever kind of thought about how. You know, I've had it. Someone's asked me. I was shocked. Someone goes, oh, Lucy, how would you like me to present this back to you? And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> and I was almost taken aback because that person had used their initiative to kind of say that to me and for me yeah. to kind of go, oh, let's collaborate together. And then I can tell you how I want that because actually I hadn't even thought about it myself. So this is another yeah, yeah. thing is that don't expect everybody to kind of already know the answers because the truth is they probably don't know themselves as well no. at times. No, they don't. And, and sometimes you have got a really clear idea in your head of how you want it, but you, you don't, because it's so obvious to you, because it's the way that you would do it, you don't tell the other person because it's, well, well obviously you, you've got to do it like this. Um, so we're not necessarily as explicit enough sometimes in our delegation or our requests as we need to be. So if you're the person receiving that and you're checking in, say, okay, so how, how do you want that back? You know, how do you want it back? When do you want it back? That kind of stuff brilliant so so you know exactly what you need to do so you're not putting extra work on yourself or you're not putting yourself in a difficult position unnecessarily yeah absolutely Emma I've really really enjoyed um talking to you today we've covered such a lot of ground before I wrap up is there anything else you'd like to kind of discuss no I think I think just to kind of uh, rally and call to the women out there. It's like, we have so much to offer in the workplace, in the entrepreneurial space. Um, we've got such amazing collaborative skills. I think it would just be incredible to have more female leaders out there. So yeah, just commit, speak up, speak for longer, lift as you rise, pull those other women with you, make it easier for the women coming behind us. That's my rallying cry. <laughs> so I always want to do a round of applause. <laughs> thank you emma thank you so much for joining me today on speak female it's been an absolute pleasure thank you and thank you to you the listener for tuning in today in summary emma and i have talked a lot about women in leadership how you can get there looking at the cookie cutter approach and how that just needs to go and if you haven't done already please can you subscribe to this podcast you can share speak female across your networks and also leave a review this helps spread the message and the more people we can reach, the better. Check out the podcast notes where you can find my email address, contact details for Emma and ways you can sign up to the newsletter Coaching Hub. And in the words of Michelle Obama, don't ever make decisions based on fear. Make decisions based on hope and possibility. Make decisions based on what should happen, not what shouldn't. See you next time.